0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. It is a great day. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. It's the best day of the year. It is. And I know some of you are saying, well, what about Christmas? Christmas is okay, but Christmas we celebrate a birth. I did that. You know, everyone who walked the face of the earth was born. What Jesus did on His Resurrection Sunday is something completely different. This is what we celebrate today. It's an amazing event. It is the centerpiece of Christianity. It is the foundation of our faith. Paul wrote about it like this to the uh, church in Corinth. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to follow along. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably someone hard back there near you. Pull it out. It's page 1139. Paul wrote this, beginning in verse 3. He says, for I receive, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and, and after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also. As to one abnormally born. Skipping down verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all others. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection... Of the dead comes also through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, so in Christ, all will be made alive. Paul writes, this is of first importance. Now, maybe you can think back to like your high school days, your college days, and it gets to be out this time of year. And um, it's been a long school year, it's been a long semester, and, and the students are in the classroom, and it's warm and sunny outside, and the days are getting longer, and you're sitting in this stuffy classroom, and, and what starts to happen is you're on information overload, you know? You, it just, it just, you know, your brain is just starting to tune out, and it begins to wander, and the teacher just drones on and on and on, you know, and, and your mind just wanders more and more and more. How many know what I'm talking about? Mind wandering. <laughs> How many missed the question? Because you But what happens in that setting? What happens in that setting is a question begins to formulate in every student's mind. And sometimes, like one of the students will actually raise their hand and ask it out loud. And the question is, will this be on the final? <laughs> Because I want to know. Because if this is just stuff I can tune out now, you know, I just I'd rather go outside. I'd rather dream somewhere else. You know, I just if this is not stuff I need, that's not really all that important. Just let me know now so I can tune out. Well, Paul says, "This will be on the final. <laughs> this is of first importance." He said, "This is so important. This is so important. It is important to us today because a lot of people." a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about god about faith about religion about heaven about hell and in this whole series we're looking at some of the popular misconceptions that people have calling it mythbusters and one of the most common misperceptions i hear it all the time you may hear it from time to time kind of goes like this how do you get to heaven live a good life and when you pass away hopefully you've done everything right and the gates gonna be open. By living very very well. Well I guess there's many ways, I'm not totally sure how but I mean I have no idea. (laughs) I guess you just try to do your best and when you do something wrong you try to make it right or admit to it or at least you know try to make up for it. I think you get to heaven by being a good person. Uh, By doing good and uh, having good moral values. I think living each day um, with just, you know, keeping everything in mind and making sure that you don't do anything that is going to be out of control um, and just, you know, living it the way that you feel it's fit and, you know, believing in what you believe in and everything like that. And I think that gets you where you need to be. You hear it all the time. I'm a good person. I do my best to be a good person. Isn't that enough? Paul would say, Paul would say, if that's your answer, it's the wrong answer. It's the wrong answer. This will be on the final. And if you're trusting in being a good person, it's the wrong answer. Because the right answer has nothing to do with what you have done. It's what God has done for you. And maybe you've had those thoughts or even said those words. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you have some vague ideas about heaven, but you're not really sure. and, And maybe that's one of the reasons you're here. Maybe you think you know what the answer is. And I'm just glad you're here this morning. Because what we're talking about today and next couple of weeks is what are the true essentials? What is it that really matters? Paul says this will be on the final. Only one thing matters. It is of first importance, he says, that none of us has what it takes. It's not what we have done. It's what God has done for us. And that's where you hear it over and over again as you read through the Scriptures, the New Testament, over and over again. When the apostles preached, this was their message, that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, but on the third day he rose again. That's what we celebrate today. It all hinges on this. It all culminates on this one thing. It is what they preached. The resurrection is what matters. It's better than anything else that could have been done, better than anything else that you've tried to do. It is of first importance. It's all on the resurrection. Because the resurrection, the resurrection bridges the performance gap. It's it's an old illustration, but but the Bible says there is a gap. There is a gap between the person that you are and the person that God created you to be. There's a gap. That God created you to be a loving, generous, giving, caring. And, And you might do that sometimes, but there is a gap. There's a gap between the person that God created you to be and the person that you currently are. Now, how many here this morning, mass confession, how many here this morning would say, there's at least a little gap between who you are and who you know you ought to be, okay? How many would say, I'm doing pretty good, but the guy next to me has a severe gap, okay? We all know it. We all know there is this gap. And we try to bridge it. That's what most religions are all about. I am going to bridge that gap. I'm going to figure out how, and I'm going to bridge that gap. When our kids were about middle school age, uh, we had a pool put in in our backyard. And, And at its closest point, there's about, oh, 10 to 12 feet between the edge of the pool and the roof of our house. And I had a 12-year-old son who did not know the meaning of fear. Anybody want to know what his dream ambition was? (laughs) To bridge that gap. He said, I am going to bridge that gap. And his mother said, no, you are not going to bridge that gap. This is of first importance. You will not bridge that gap. And so he did not bridge that gap as long as his mother was home. (laughs) There's a performance gap. There is this gap between who we are And who God created us to be. And no one, no one has ever bridged that gap. And the Bible calls that gap sin. G.K. Chesterton said sin is the only, the only theological concept that is 100% proven. (laughs) And it's true. We all know the gap. that's why this resurrection is so crucial. Because it has to do with this problem of sin. That's why Paul wrote, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. You're stuck with the gap. And the biggest thing about this is, there's a bottom to this gap. There is a bottom. And it is a hard landing. It is death. Physical death, relational death, spiritual death. That's why Jesus died. Paul wrote, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He said, This is of first importance because there's a bottom to this gap. It is called death. And that is why Jesus died. He died for our sins. But the good news is, He didn't stay dead. On the third day, he was raised again. And that resurrection is the certainty that we know that we have because now we know the gap has been bridged. He overcame death. The gap has been bridged. That's why the resurrection is so crucial. He didn't stay, die. He bridged the gap. He came alive. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Paul wrote. In Adam, all die. So in Christ all will be made alive. That's the answer. That's why it all hinges. That's why this day is so important. Because it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that says the gap has been bridged. In fact, Paul goes on to say, you know, if, if, if that's not the case, then, then why do we even bother? Why do we even bother? In fact, he goes on and says, if the dead are not raised, then let's just eat, drink. For tomorrow we die. Why even bother? Why even bother? If there's no resurrection, then let's not even bother. The resurrection says the performance gap has been bridged. Here's where we come to the rubber bands. All of you are wondering in your bulletin, what's with the rubber band? So take out your rubber band. Okay, this is a memory thing. This is going to help you. You're going to never look at a rubber band in the same way again in your life. Okay, so take out your rubber band and stretch it as tight as you can. Put it up to the face of the person next to you. No, don't do that. Don't do that. And don't go shooting up here at me, all right? I had people in the office this week, and they were gluing these rubber bands. We have 500 rubber bands glued in these programs, okay? And they're all threatened. They're ready to shoot them at me, okay? Don't shoot them up here. Here's what I want you to do. Stretch it as tight as you can now here's the deal this is the person god created me to be this is who i am currently there is a gap and in that gap there is tension greg hawkins writes about this there is a tension and the tension is the pull of god's spirit towards us towards him He's pulling us toward Him. See, it's not just a white gap. There's a gap, but there's a tension in that gap. And there is this pull that God is pulling us toward Him. Now, there are two ways. There are two ways to relieve the tension. The one way is to lower the standards, to ease my conscience, to find other ways of dealing with the gap, to kind of just let the expectations lower just a little bit. The other way is to let that tension pull me towards who God wants me to be. Now, most people know living with that tension, they can't bridge that gap. And so what most people try to do is lower the standards and hope God's going to grade on a curve. I'll do my best, but I know I can't be perfect, so i lower the standard. Now, here's the deal. The way that we do that, the way that we lower that standard is we find other ways to deal with that tension. There's A lot of different strategies people try for that. We look for people who are worse than we are. Because if we can find people worse than us, you know, then we don't feel so bad about our own tension, okay? So we look for other, We compare ourselves to other people. Sometimes we just avoid the thought completely. We give our minds to other distractions. We engage ourselves in other things so we don't have to think about or realize or, or even consider this tension that pulls us. We just find other distractions, other ways to occupy our time. And sometimes, sometimes we do it by simply hiding. We wear a mask. Sometimes it's a religion mask. We do all the good religious things. So people will think we are better than who we are. And we hope maybe God will think we are better than who we really are. And the resurrection relieves that mask of pretending. The resurrection says, foundationally to the Christian faith, the resurrection says, I can come clean. I don't have to pretend to be something that I am not. Because God knows the real me. God knows the real me to the core of my being. The parts of me nobody else sees. Those thoughts and considerations that I would never say out loud. God sees them and he knows them and he loves the real me. He loves the real you. He loves you as is. Just the way that you are. But he also loves you too much to let you stay that way. And what the resurrection confirms is That a real life change is possible. Not just a prettying up of the outside. Not just an image management thing. But a real life change from the inside out. That there's a new life that is available to us. That's what is implicit in the resurrection. You are raised to a new life. The resurrection says there is a new life to live and that's why this is so foundational to the Christian faith. That's why Paul can insist on all these different people who saw him firsthand. He appeared to Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James, he appeared to all the apostles. He had all of these appearances. Because they insisted it's a real life event. It's a human history event. It happened. And this, all of this stuff happened. All of these people saw it. It's a reality. It wasn't a hallucination. It wasn't a legend and lore that built up over centuries of time as people embellished the story. Because he said, this is all first century stuff. This is first generation. These are people who saw it. And he said, go ask them. They're first hand eyewitnesses. Most of the New Testament was completed within 50 years of Jesus' death. All of it was completed within 50 years of Jesus' death. Within one generation, this message spread throughout the Roman Empire. Thousands of miles because it was a reality and it changed their lives. A group of disappointed, defeated, fearful followers who all scattered because if they killed our leader, what's up for us? were transformed... and they became bold... and they were willing... they were willing to give their lives to this thing. Nobody dies for a hoax. If they had made this stuff up... when it really came down to it... and their life was on the line... they could have just said... just kidding. (laughs) But they didn't. Because they believed... it is the only thing... that transforms lives. And it transformed theirs. And sadly... Sadly, many Christians, people who call themselves Christians are still trying to do it in their own strength. They're still dealing with this tension by either relaxing their standards or or just trying to not think about it. And what it is, is that tension is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is that tugging in your heart that God is pulling you toward him. That this gap is to be bridged and he wants you to cross the bridge. And the tension is the work of his grace. And that transforms lives. Trying to do it in your own strength never will. You never will. And even if you determined, I will be good from here on out, you still have stuff in your past that's been already done that you can't make up for. Is a work of God's grace and it comes freely as a gift. And that is life transforming. Paul wrote this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am. I am the real me. By the grace of God, it's His grace. And His grace to me is not without effect. Grace Is not just go do whatever you want because it's all covered and it's all taken care of. Grace is the pull that changes your life. And here's how it works when you know that you have been loved, the real you has been loved, the way God does with an unconditional love, the way Christ demonstrated his love for you by his death on the cross, when you truly understand that kind of love, you become a more loving person. Because you understand you don't earn love, it comes as a gift. When you have been forgiven of your past, of your present ongoing mistakes and failures and sin, when you know that you are forgiven, you become a more forgiving person. That's the work of God's Spirit in your life. When you know you've been accepted, not by your own proving of your worth, but because God loved you and accepted you by His grace, you become more accepting of other people. That's the life-transforming power of grace. It is powerful. It is effective. And that's why the resurrection is so important. Because the gap has been bridged. And that tension, that pull, gets us across to that relationship with God that we were designed to have. And then the third thing is that the resurrection assures us there is a promised eternity for each and every one of us. Because the last enemy has now been defeated. Paul wrote, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that's why this day is so great. That's why the resurrection is so important. Because death doesn't get the last word. That's it. And that's the promise and that's the certainty. Because Jesus was resurrected, death does not get the last word. I heard a story just this week. In a Sunday school class, and it was Easter Sunday, and the teacher was teaching the Sunday school class and teaching about the resurrection and talking about Jesus coming back to life. And I kind of asked the question, Does anybody know what Jesus said when he was resurrected? And one of the little girls in the class said, Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. know." And the teacher tried to pick somebody else. No, no, pick me, pick me, pick me. She said, Okay, what did Jesus say when he was resurrected? And she stood up, she went, (laughs) Ta-da! I don't know if that's an accurate translation, but the theology is 100% right on. Because that's it. That's it. The Bible teaches there is a life beyond the grave. And the resurrection says, yes, there is life on this earth, and yes, life on this earth ends in death, but that is not the end of the story. Death does not get the last word. And the life to come, is far more real, far more wonderful, far more powerful than we can imagine. And because we can't see it, because we can't taste it, touch it, feel it, it just seems so ethereal. But the reality is the Bible tells us this life is what's ethereal. He said this life, Bible says, is like a mist. It's a puff of smoke. It is here and it is gone. That's life. And if we take any moment at all to think about that, we know that's true. I'm in my 50s now. Life is a lot shorter to me now than it was when I was in my teens. And the longer we live and the more life experience, the more we realize this is really short. The Bible says there is a life beyond. In fact, Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, then all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Why? Because we have pinned it all on a false hope. That's why the resurrection is so vital. Because the resurrection says this new life is real. The life to come is a reality. And you can be sure. You don't have to think, I hope, I hope, I hope. I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. I hope, I hope, I try. I you can know. You can know. The interviews in the, on, the, on the video, even the, the vague answers that people had, it was just kind of like, well, I hope if I'm good enough, I hope maybe that'll be enough. And the Bible says you don't have to hope, you don't have to wish, you don't have to earn. It's a gift. And it's offered freely. And you can receive it. And with that, you can be sure. Because you see, if it's all about doing good and being good enough, how do you know? How do you know? Who says good enough? Christ did it for us. And the resurrection, the resurrection says, everybody can be sure. Paul ends it this way. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first, the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Everyone, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Circle that word, everyone. Because sometimes people say things like, well, how can Jesus be the only way? And isn't that pretty exclusive? And, And isn't that really limiting? Listen, I can't think of anything more fair. I can't think of anything more fair that says everyone. If he had set a standard and said it's only people who can climb this high on the ladder, then what about those who can't climb the ladder? If he had said it's only for this group of people who speak this language, then what about all the people who don't speak that language? If he had said that it is this attainable, you have to have this level of IQ, what about those of us who don't have that IQ? He says everyone. That is the message of grace. It is for everyone. Why does it come through Christ? Because only Christ died for our sins. Only Christ was resurrected. Only Jesus holds out the promise that says, you can be sure. And it's not narrowing. It's wide open. It's wide open. There's only one thing. You got to believe and put your faith in what he's done for you. Because that's really what it comes down to. It's why I made that decision years and years and years ago. I said that's the only thing that makes sense. And it is certainly my only hope. Because I can't do this on my own. I can't be good enough. But ultimately, ultimately what it comes down to is not the decision that I made. Ultimately it comes down to you. Because you've been given the choice too. You get to decide. It's freely open for everyone who will do it. But everyone's got to make that decision for themselves. I want to ask you this morning as we close. Where are you at with this? Where are you at with this? Maybe you're here today. And, and maybe for you, you've never even given any serious thought to this. You came because it's Easter and everybody goes to church on Easter or your mom dragged you along, or whatever reason, your wife, your husband dragged you along, and you've never given any serious thought to it, maybe for you, the next step is just simply to say, if I'm going to reject this, then I better know what it is I'm rejecting. And just make a decision today that I'm going to find out more. Because if this is for real, then I better know it before I give up on it. And maybe that's the decision you need to make this morning. In fact, I would encourage you for the rest of this month, we're talking about all of these different ideas that people have. I would encourage you for the next couple of weeks to be here, to learn more, because that's what this whole series we're in is all about. And maybe that's the decision you have to make. Maybe this morning you've been in a long search. Maybe you've been a good church attender all of your life, but you never made a decision about this. It's all been Jesus and the good stuff that I do. It's all about Jesus and my best efforts. And you need to understand this morning, it's not about anything you do. It's all about Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.